Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Krista Gilbert, the Chief Executive Officer of Constellation Behavioral Health. Krista has more than 20 years of experience in the treatment of addiction and mental health issues. Prior to joining Constellation, she spent nine years as a senior executive with Foundation's Recovery Network. Last year, she wrote a guest column, a series of guest columns for us on the topic of bridging the clinical executive gap. We are delighted to have her on the BHE podcast today. Krista, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. All right, so I gave listeners the Notes version of your background. Can you tell us a little bit more about the different roles that you've had in your career that have led you to the position you're in today with Constellation? Absolutely. Prior to the, my work in behavioral health, I worked in law firms for about 16 years, so I had enough legal experience to be dangerous, if you will, and then jumped in and got a master's degree in counseling and a PhD in depth psychology, um, thinking that I would be a therapist for the rest of my life, and then was offered opportunities over time to grow in my skill sets and to apply my clinical knowledge to managing and leading teams. So as I've grown in my career, it has um, stretched and I've gotten to um, really fly in my capacity, if you will, to uh, grow new facilities and do a lot of development and do a number of different things over time, and, and now I'm CEO for Constellation. You know, in one of the columns that you wrote for us last year, you said that your clinical training was one of your greatest strengths in terms of your ability to lead. Why do you feel that way? Oh, to... Um, have the clinical training and to apply that training in guiding teams has made it a rich and deep experience such that, um, you know, the focus always, I think, for any executive is to have a high-performing team. And through being able to um, be in relationship with people in a very specific way, such that they feel supported, they feel empowered, they are partners in the task at hand, um, what I've watched is amazing outcomes and amazing financial performance and people who have grown by leaps and bounds, and I've watched them skyrocket in their careers. So um, the clinical training, I think, is, has been a huge um, kind of wake up for me and um, has certainly informed how I do everything in an organization, anything from running a meeting to how I'm in a single conversation, to how I might support a client or a family. Um, being able to have that flexibility has been, um, you know, made, made it much easier for me, I believe. Do you find the way that you interact with staff has a direct correlation with how uh, the therapists and uh, practitioners who are, um, you know, on staff at, at Constellation, <clears throat> does it, uh, do your actions set a tone for how your organization delivers care? Is there like a, a transference there? I think there's an absolute transference. I and mean, we can talk about a clinical concept called parallel process, where what happens between a therapist and a client 
um, can be played out by the therapist with their supervisor. In similar fashion, I do believe that in leadership, that leaders model behaviors that flow throughout an organization. They also create either emotional safety or lack of emotional safety and the freedom to speak out openly in a team meeting or um, to encourage people to come forward and really speak their mind in a way that can make the organization better. Um, so absolutely, I think the, the nature of the relationships and the way that I have, you know, many, I think, who have brought forward these clinical skills into an executive realm, I think there's an opportunity to create a culture and an organization and in a team that can um, propel you forward in some amazing ways and directly ultimately impact the client care and the client outcomes. I think there's a definitely a direct correlation between this when we have, when we're talking about uh, leadership style that's perhaps more top-down driven. What we, I think, oftentimes see is a more directive style that flows through the, organiza the organizational chart and um, into the, the therapy room with the client where we're being directive with the client. And I think that that's actually counterproductive to what we know is effective from research and evidence-based practices. You know, I, and I think it's interesting, uh, something that you and I were talking about uh, the other day, that um, e even the slightest little example at an interaction that you might have with a staff member uh, is something that could end up uh, passing on to how that, uh, you know, that clinician, that practitioner ends up uh, interacting with a patient. Can you talk about that a little bit? Certainly. I think that... Um I, I can give an example of, of you know, a, a specific instance that occurred where um, I can think that, you know, I'm doing the right thing and I'm excited about what I'm doing and this actually happened for me and it was a huge learning opportunity for me, which was um, if and when we're given an opportunity to say, you know, hand out bonuses, it's such an exciting thing to be able to do as an organization. We want to value our employees and we want to share that, that they're valued in, in a variety of ways. And so I was given that opportunity to hand out bonuses. And rather than letting the direct managers do that, I thought, oh, I'll do this. People will appreciate receiving this from, directly from me and kind of letting that play out um, very specifically. And um, ultimately what occurred is by jumping that org chart and not permitting the managers to hand those bonuses out, it was a... a you know, an unforeseen outcome, which was I watched the a therapist actually jump the org chart and not seek approvals um, in a very similar fashion um, with a client, and it really got sideways very quickly. And so, something is you know seemingly innocent as goodwill and wanting to to celebrate, you know great performance and great client outcomes with a team um, can, you know, it, it can go sideways very quickly. So I think that the decisions that we make and the way that we are showing up in relationships is really critical. I've also noticed that in team meetings, the way that uh, we behave or the way that we're focused on as leaders in an organization is a piece there as well where, you know, we can raise an eyebrow or we have a certain manner and that's sort of a tell for us to team will get to know us so well that that too, um, that hypervigilance I think can spread. Um, the clients in similar fashion will look 
as staff for that modeling behavior. And so, you know, I think one of the critical pieces to remember in leading organizations is that, honestly, the client can only be as healthy as the staff is healthy. And it's a clear limiting factor in, um, you know, the client's ability to get well. And so by supporting our, our staff and by supporting, um, you know, kind of a positive communication style and, and knowing that our tells are there in the room, if you will, um, it, it, it's critical to the health of the organization and to the client's well-being. Do you have any tips um, that you would share with our listeners in terms of uh, building uh, healthy uh, lines of communication um, between leadership and, and staff to uh, you know keep things on a good, healthy track? I think it's really important to start with number one, you know, how you're onboarding employees um, and welcoming welcoming them in. So often we bring someone on and they've got great skills on paper and we don't necessarily do all the work to um, support them in their onboarding in the ways that can be most effective. I've heard that many times. Um, so I think it starts really in that relationship and then Having opportunities periodically, I do a process called direct line where I go and once a quarter and meet with frontline staff at every facility so that there's an opportunity for them to have a voice in at the highest levels and, and in the decision-making processes around um, decisions that directly can affect them. And they oftentimes have great solutions and can be very solution-focused in those conversations. So I think keeping that, that direct communication line open, I also think that there's something to making sure that um, as managers, you know, are growing in their, their skill sets, somebody, uh, particularly a new manager, growing, stepping up into a management role, making sure that they really have open lines to be able to say the words, I don't know. Those are some of the most cherished words that, that I hold dear in, in the sense that I think it's critical for us to be able to openly say we don't know how to do something or that we need help with something um, as leaders so that we have the opportunity for the sake of the patient to be um, moving effectively and supporting our team members in a way that is going to provide you know the most support for the client. And that's sometimes unknowingly we have, you know, we make decisions or we aren't communicating or we kind of are puffing up our chest feathers trying to act like we know. Um, and that actually does have a direct impact on the client as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. <clears throat> it, it, there's a difference, it seems like, between uh, having confidence in your leadership abilities and having confidence in your organization and going too far uh, to the point of ego that can be damaging to an organization uh, is that like a balance that we really need to be cognizant of in in a leadership role? I think it is. I think it's really easy to, to have great client outcomes or to have great financial success and to want to take that on as a leader, as our own personal success. And and to, as we, you know, grow and are hopefully um, we, we stay aware as we're, we're achieving successes and we're, letting ourselves let that be a team-focused success because it, it clearly takes a village for someone to recover and it takes multiple touch points and not one person's efforts um, or work in the world. And so if and when we let ourselves kind of become sponges and think that that's all ours to own, 
the danger becomes that we become can become very directive thinking that we don't need others input or that we somehow have this magic touch and I think that that's sometimes a dangerous place to be again it, it, we get back into the, the top down driven focus and um, and stop seeking input and inclusion and, and team members stop feeling valued when we start to operate from that modality and I think that it can impact our relationships and how we're perceived by referral sources or by family members or any of the folks who are there to support the client in um, getting well in that you know it's, I think when we're working with somebody who's got that very kind of big ego going we can feel it and I think there's some aversive quality to that that starts to impact directly impact our bottom line so you know keeping our ego in check I think is a critical um, aspect of, of successful outcomes and uh, on all fronts. You know, one other uh, hot button topic that I've seen a lot of discussion around within the past couple of years has been uh, self care, uh, particularly around clinicians and practitioners who are you know working in in really stressful conditions. But yeah, you know, I, I think it's also an important uh, area of focus for executives. And I'm curious to know how you keep yourself in the best frame of mind possible uh, so that you can be uh, a leader who's, uh, you know, trying to set a healthy example uh, for your staff at Constellation. I think it's critical for executives to to have a, some um, really, there's a Harvard Business Review article or a book actually on managing yourself. And I think it's really critical for us to be modeling that self-care. Um, I think the inclination can be to um, work harder, work longer hours, thinking that that's going to get us further in the business and, and the bottom line. And um, I think it's actually counterproductive. I think when we start to push ourselves harder and harder and harder and we get to those points of burnout, um, we end up in a place that um, we are less productive and we are less effective in our roles. And so having that really engaging in self-care practice on a daily basis, prioritizing family, prioritizing our physical health, prioritizing um, aspects of if it's a spiritual life or if it's, um, you know, any, whatever it is that works for that person, I think is, it's got to be a priority no matter what. And that includes, you know, executive travel and includes all of those things. So finding ways to uh, staying good physically, if that's in, you know, I, I tend to do cross training, I tend to do a lot of physical activity, um, and sometimes it's just a quick 30-minute walk in downtown Chicago, and I don't live in Chicago, but when I'm traveling there, it's one of my favorite places to get to go walk, um, and, and making sure that, that I'm attending to my physical body, but also sometimes that's a regular 10 or 15-minute uh, meditation practice, or whatever's going to help me keep my balance in that because it, it's truly counterproductive. I've seen it in myself, I've seen it in others. Um, when we push harder, we actually end up producing less and being less effective. It's interesting you mentioned that about Chicago. I like to go for long walks there when uh, I'm in town as well. It's a, it's a great walkable city, at the, just an, an aside. Um, last question I wanted to ask you, you made the leap from clinical roles into leadership uh, I believe around 2006, if there was uh, someone in this field who was making a similar jump now, based on your experiences since then, knowing what you know now, 
what is one piece of advice that you would share uh, to to somebody uh, making that transition? It would be to trust yourself. It's I think that's a really core aspect of of growing your leadership skills, trusting your intuition, trusting that what others have seen in you in terms of leadership qualities are really grounded and valid um, because I think that it can be very easy to enter into that imposter syndrome where we feel very insecure and we feel like we're acting as if. So I think that it becomes very critical to, to trust yourself, trust your abilities, ask questions, to let yourself uh, come forward in your leadership in a way that is um, grounded in actual growth and experience because I think that oftentimes that there's natural leadership abilities that come forward when we're starting out um, and um, we don't always recognize what those leadership abilities are. And I think that um, whether maybe it's being very articulate and being able to effectively communicate, maybe that's um, being able to um, have conversation, you know, difficult conversations with people and be very empathic or attuned, emotionally attuned to others and what they are needing in those moments. Those are very specific kinds of leadership aspects that, that we don't always recognize. And so be willing to own those um, and balance that with um, continuing to be in partnership because I think it, it is easy to, you know, get a little bit um, off balance, if you will, as an as a new manager or a new leader, in the sense that um, sometimes it's an ego question. Sometimes it's um, where we forget that that we still need to include others' thoughts and opinions into how we're making decisions. Um, so being really inclusive, I think that's another important aspect. But I think the core aspect really is entrusting ourselves and and trusting that um, we're doing the right thing. Fantastic advice, and I think that's a great place for us to close up shop for today. Uh, Krista, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Tom. Take care. All right. That's going to do it for us for this week. Our thanks again to Krista Gilbert of Constellation Behavioral Health for joining us. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. 